Hello and welcome to episode two of Bossing It, the weekly podcast for women in business brought to you by entrepreneurs Frankie Cotton and Laura Sheldrake. In this week's episode, we're talking about our do's and don'ts of selling services, knowing your value and facing fear. We talk about how we set up a services-based business, what we would have done differently and the challenges we faced along the way. We also offer some top tips we found useful when starting out on a shoestring budget and some things we've been reading and listening to this week. So we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Episode two, we made it. Yeah. Um, so this, I mean, after last week, we, we kind of sat down, we had a chat, didn't we? And we mm-hmm. thought, what is going to be useful for other people? What do we want to talk about? And what would be a good kind of lead on from um, our first episode? Mm-hmm. And we decided that the 101 setting up your business would be perhaps a, a natural... Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes it can feel like we're all reinventing the wheel every time we do this but there's a lot of basics and a lot of things that we just all have to do just kind of go through the motions so it makes sense just to share some of those things yeah and hopefully just reduce the amount of time it takes I guess for listeners to do it themselves yeah exactly that yeah and I guess from a personal perspective we wanted to record something that we would have wanted to listen to a couple of years ago when we were starting out on our own what did how did you start what did you do what did I do day one Uh, day one (laughs) Day one, I cried a lot. <laughs> um, I think it was probably day two where I sat down and I I, I came up with kind of like a, a loose plan of what I wanted to do. And then it was, right, branding. For me, it was branding. I wanted to know how it looked. I wanted to know what the message was. Um, so I think I actually set up the website. I bought the domain name first. And then I created a logo mm-hmm. and then I set up the name on Company's House. And that was kind of like, yeah, the first initial stage. Oh, what did you do? Does that sound similar? Yeah, so just for context for our listeners, so you were setting up a services-based business, right? So you exactly were, that. at that time, you were your product. I was the product, So your yeah. services were the product. Yeah. Um, okay, so interesting that you, you kind of went brand first. Did you check the availability of the name that you were after on Company's House before you went through the branding process? Yes, yes exactly. Yeah, so I checked on Company's House to see if there was already a lemon sugar. Um, and the reason why I chose lemon sugar is because the, the, the same as my initials, Lara Sheldrake. Oh my God, I never uh, realised. Yeah, that's, that's how it came about. And I, do you know what, I wasn't even sitting there thinking for hours, what should I call it? I was just like, Lara Sheldrake, Lara Sheldrake, Lemon Sugar. And it just came to me. Um, it's cool. It's a good name. Yeah, it was a little, you know, it was catchy um, for me anyway. Uh, so I checked that that name hadn't already been taken. And because I knew it hadn't, I was like, right, okay, so now I need to have a look and see if there are any websites out there called Lemon Sugar or any businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, once I knew that that was clear, I, yeah, I, I mean, I can't remember the way around I did it, but I'm pretty sure I then bought the domain name. So I just made sure that I could, I could have that website name. Mm-hmm. Uh, started working on the branding because I'm a really visual person. So I needed a name, a website, a logo, and I needed to get myself out there. That was it. And how long did that take you to so... spend doing that? The logo took all of a couple of hours, a bit of tweaking over a couple of weeks, but you know, the logo I'd kind of done in that day. The website, I think I used, I used Squarespace and that took me a couple of days to do. Um, so I reckon within a week, I kind of 
has the business online. Within that week, obviously, I was going through a lot of emotional, mental turmoil, wondering, you know, whether this was even going to work. You know, you've got that inside voice that's saying, this is never going to work. And then you've got that other side that's going, of course it will. You know, I've just got to do it. Mm. I've just got to do it. Yeah. Whilst not overthinking it, because I think the longer I took on certain things, the the more chance I had of backing down or, you know, going, oh, this is, you know, useless. So I basically just, just got it out there. And as I say, within a week, um, everything was up and running. I had updated my social accounts. I had written um, a business plan. I I kind of then just sat back and I remember talking to my husband. He said, so how are you going to bring on clients? And I was like, I haven't, I haven't really figured that bit out yet. I just, I want to get my, I want to get my message right. I want to know that when I bring on clients, I'm going to be fully prepared to service them in the way that I'd like to. Uh, and this might sound a, a little bit kind of wooey for some people, but I did do some, you know, manifestations of asking for asking for the right things to happen for the business. So I tried to be really positive and write things down, like, you know, the types of clients I wanted to work with, mm-hmm. um, how busy I wanted to be when I wanted to start making money and within I I think I'd say a couple of weeks and I'm not quite sure because it's all a bit hazy um but I I got um someone approached me via LinkedIn we had a chat and before I knew I was working with them um and then soon after that someone else got in touch and actually I didn't have to advertise the business at all uh, all the business that I worked with for that that year or just over a year were referrals, mm. which was amazing. Um, you know, I, 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 for some people, I'd say I think having an advertising strategy is quite important, or at least you know knowing there are outlets and tools like Facebook advertising, which is amazing if you want to get your brand out there, depending what it is that you're offering. But also, there's there's a lot to be said for referrals and and having um, business through word of mouth because you also kind of have this nice little network of people that all know each other in some way and it's it feels very kind of um what's the word i guess it, it was nice because i was you know building this network but making friends and it was a really it was a really nice pace for me as well so that that way worked well for me yeah i think it's really interesting what you're saying about kind of taking it at a not necessarily a slow pace but like Mm -hmm. a steady pace I think particularly if you're focusing on if you're providing services you don't want to necessarily rush that and get into a load of kind of heavy marketing or advertising when actually it can take you a while to figure out what your sweet spot is in terms of service so what is the best thing that I can provide for my clients and what are they looking for and what industries maybe do I want to work in or, or what kind of size businesses do I want to serve exactly that and you only realize that through experience and through doing it so yeah. you might have all of these plans around you know I want I want to productize my services to look like x y and z but actually you have a really steep learning curve say in the first three months where you bring on some clients and you think well I, I horrendously undercharged for that service for example oh I, I do um, that a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and so you learn all these quick and fast <laughs> lessons but if you've invested not only money but also time in mm. in kind of advertising and over branding um and marketing what you're trying to do you then have to kind of make this huge shift once you figure out 
actually the reality of the services you can offer and what you yeah. need to do and then it just becomes a waste of time no i totally agree because it's also down to you know as you say what you want to do what your brand ethos is you know the types of businesses you want to work with and then the types that you don't mm. um i i naturally i think attracted quite a few sort of well-being and yoga uh, clients or people within that um industry and then um i had a pharmacy email in an independent pharmacy ask if if we could have a chat and if um you know i could help them with their social media and marketing and i just i maybe it's because at the time i was also, also studying naturopathic medicine um which is obviously a way of treating disease and healing your body through nutrition and food yeah but it just didn't sit right with me and i knew that actually you know i don't have to separate business from me or what's important to me and you know, being self-employed, I have the luxury to be able to say, well, is this someone I want to work with or is this a brand or a business I want to work with and do I want to be associated with that mm-hmm. you know, type of industry? And I just decided I didn't, so I, you know, politely declined. But that that was a turning point for me where I realised, oh, actually, I, I, I can sort of sit back and ask myself what's important for, for me mm-hmm. and the business and which I think, you know, if you're rushing everything and you're trying to do everything really quickly and... You know, you're, you're taking business here, there and everywhere. You're not actually giving yourself an opportunity to sit back and evaluate the situation, kind of ask yourself how things sit with you so that you can then run a business consciously, which I mm. think is really important. Yeah, I think that's such a great message. And I think the fact that you learnt that really early on is interesting because I think a lot of people, um, they just take all the business that's on offer mm. and actually don't necessarily consider the kind of future or the kind of business that they're creating as a result and the sort of values that they're aligning to. And that can, the longer you do that, the longer you make unconscious decisions because you're thinking about money and contracts mm. rather than actually what's the bigger picture. That can create, well, it won't create you the business that's going to, I guess, be rewarding and fulfilling the sooner you can learn that lesson, the better. And the fact that you did that really quickly, I think, is amazing. Because yeah. I certainly, it certainly took me a long, much longer period of time to be able to say no yeah, to I th- business. I think it's a really um, it's a tough thing to master. And I'm, I'm not saying that I mastered it early on. I think I, I just realised, you know, for me, what felt right and what didn't as far as clients were concerned. Um, but it is a really, it's a really tough thing. It's a, it's a, it's a tough balance to achieve, isn't it? Because when you're working for yourself or you've set up a business, the, the idea of turning away potential, you know, money is ridiculous. So it's definitely um, something that's a work in progress from figuring out actually, am I undercharging for certain services? Am I saying yes to too many things? Um, and that's something that I, I don't think you kind of ever fully master because as your business evolves and as um, you face new challenges, you're constantly learning, maybe failing in, in a certain area, learning from that mistake, progressing, growing, um, failing again at something else. And it's, it's always a learning curve, isn't it? So I always like to think it's a work in progress. And as long as you remember that and take it easy on yourself, then you should be able to enjoy the process, which can be pretty um, pretty soul-destroying sometimes. <laughs> That's, I think what you just said is really powerful because it's absolutely that. Like You solve one problem in business or kind of a, something that you think is a problem and then there's just another problem replaces it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a constant 
um, journey of error correcting yes. and it's never you're never going to have solved all your problems but it's the way that you think about those problems that gives you freedom you know you always talk about enjoying the process and I think that's amazing because what you're doing is you've found almost it seems to me that you've almost found like a kind of peace within yourself that it's okay to make mistakes it's okay it's never going to be perfect yeah which is that's the only way I think you can do it and and live yeah. a semi-sane life definitely I definitely think there's an element of finding peace in uh you know making mistakes and being okay with failing because that is just an, an inevitable part of success but there are moments of course when you're just pulling your hair out going what am I doing and I made a mistake and is it ever going to be right and you know yes there are moments of despair but I think as long as you can I think we talked about this a while ago actually when we met up once and we were saying you know failure is okay as long as you learn from it and if you mm. make a mistake and you learn from that mistake and you know you basically don't do it again then it's okay yeah and if, and if you're not making mistakes you're not making enough decisions that's very true because there's always going to be an error rate like you're always going to be that is very you know, true some of them aren't going to be right but if if you're not making mistakes you're not making decisions which means mm. you're not moving forward you're not progressing and yeah. nobody wants to be there no, it's very true. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the things that we've listened to and, and read um, later, but what's been coming up quite a lot, weirdly, is this idea of not allowing fear to get the better of you because <clears throat> fear is essentially what inhibits people from trying out different things, from setting up that business they've always wanted to, from you know creating this thing that they've been thinking about for ages or taking this job asking for this pay rise and I think that element of fear is something that is just important to kind of harness and use as um, a milestone to overcome rather than something that inevitably stops you from doing something Mm -hmm. because the fear of mistake is really powerful but I think obviously what's even more powerful is if you just go do you know what I might make a mistake and I might fuck up but it's okay because I'm going to be giving it a go of course so with that in mind, mm-hmm. what um, maybe what challenges or what mistakes did you make, do you reckon, in the first year of business? Like um, maybe question. things that you overlooked, um, operational things, client expectations, selling, um, anything that springs to mind where you're like, I wouldn't do that again? Yeah, that's a really good question. So as an example, I definitely underestimated the time certain tasks and projects would take. So, um, for example, you know, putting a quote together and uh, working out how much time things were going to take so that I could say, okay, so over the next six months, this is what you want to achieve. If we do it month by month, this is how much time it's going to take um, and therefore I'll be charging X. And of course, I committed to that. And what I found was there is so much more involved. So I think that was a big learning curve and a huge mistake because for the first six months, I was definitely undercharging for the time I was spending on certain projects Mm -hmm. and what I found was I was getting frustrated with myself because I committed to this so I didn't want to mess my clients around and I didn't want to turn around and say actually you need to pay me more money but at the same time you know I was working pretty much all the hours I could and I found that it was eating into my evenings my weekends and at one point I was thinking is this what it's like is this Mm -hmm. what working for yourself is Mm -hmm. working all the hours 
not having work-life balance because I thought, you know, this is not what I set up mm. my own business to do. I wanted flexibility. I wanted to have the time to see my friends, my family, to spend time with my husband, Rich. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't achieving that. So that was definitely one of the lows and one of the mistakes that I learned from and a huge challenge to overcome because, you know, when, you, when you're up against it, and you find that you don't have enough time to do anything else and you don't feel like you're getting paid enough for it, you, you mm. kind of sit back and you're thinking, is this worth it? So I think it's situations like that when you have to take a step back and go, okay, so why isn't this working? What's gone wrong? And how can I prevent this from happening again? Um, so that was, that, was a big, that was a big learning curve for me, definitely. And did you have to approach those clients and reset the expectations and sort of say actually you know I'm gonna have to charge you more or how did you deal with that on a case-by-case basis yeah that's a really good question so um for the work I committed to doing I completed those tasks whether it took one month three months um and at the end of the three months I I I remember having a couple of conversations but as an example I changed my business model so I looked at the time I was um, the time I was anticipating certain tasks would take I reevaluated basically uh, the breakdown of my services how much um, I'd be charging for each one and then I basically put um, a package together depending on what the client required me to do they fell under one of three different packages so that way I knew that I was being paid a set amount every month for the you know, tasks that I needed to complete mm-hmm. in any given month. So I explained that my business model, my pricing model had changed slightly and this is what we were going to do just so that basically um, it was outlined from the very beginning. So the client knew where they stood, I knew where I stood and I knew that if I was committing to doing a specific set of things every month, I was going to be paid enough for the time it was going to take me to do. Um, and that was a big turning point for me as well, actually, because it took me about three or four days, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but actually it, it kind of was. It was almost a week of going through my pricing model, you know, trying to be a bit more realistic based on the last kind of three, four months that I've been working uh, with various clients. And I remember thinking, can I, can I ask for this much? And I was sitting there and I was like, am I worth it? And then I was looking at all the other rates that I could find online and... I spoke to my husband and I said, you know, is this, am I overcharging? And he was like, hey, no, of course you're not. You know, if, if that's, if, if you're looking at an hourly rate and you're working out by day and then you're looking at how much, how long it takes you to do certain things, of course you're not asking for too much. You're, you're asking to be paid for your time. Mm. And, you know, sitting back and looking at how I valued my time and what I knew I could offer to other people, I kind of just... Uh, put my brave pants on and decided I'm going to ask for this and if it's not right for them then that's absolutely fine I know it will be for someone I think that's an experience that many people go through is trying to figure out what their time is worth Mm. and even though looking at the market and what other people offer is a really good sort of starting point it's a stake in the ground it's also trusting in your own value which when you work alone perhaps initially sometimes it's hard to remember what that is because Mm. I always say it's hard to 
identify or be objective about the things that you just know that are inherent to you so true. because it yeah. becomes second nature so yeah. your skills and the things that you're doing are second nature to you so it becomes a struggle to recognize and place value on those things yeah and also you know I love what you said about putting your brave pants on because value is actually defined by your client so what the client is willing to pay so it's mm. not like you and other people in that in sort of social media consulting and sort of execution strategy space just because on paper the deliverables are perhaps the same it doesn't mean that the the outcome for the client is necessarily going to be the same it's not a like for like product yeah. that's been manufactured in the same factory at the end of the day the value so the value lies with the client experience yeah and that's it's it's like having being brave enough to go out there and say no I know that my value is this because I'm that good and knowing that somebody will pay for it yeah and you can keep pushing your prices up until somebody says no yeah, so um, and even if somebody says no somebody else might say yes but I mean only if you get to a point where literally you know you have outpriced yourself and you are asking for far too much than the sort of service you're providing but I think you can keep pushing that and pushing that especially as you grow you get more experience and you keep offering more and more value to your customer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I guess, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Fab, do you have any tools or anything that you recommend that our listeners maybe try out if they're starting from scratch? Yes. Um, so, so I downloaded an app called Over. This app is fantastic. It's a little bit like Canvas. It's like a photo editing tool, um, an artwork creation tool. And it works like a kind of mini portable, I think, um, illustrator. So I created my logo on that. Um, Squarespace, I'm sure most people have heard of Squarespace, but that's that's a fantastic little um, website designer tool. Um, did you, what did you use for your bookkeeping else? or did you do it manually? So I was uh, recommended to use a company called Crunchbase. So they're based in Brighton. They have a really good customer service um, team. And what happens is you sign up, you obviously get a portal sort of online dashboard. You also get an app and uh, you have an account manager, a customer service team. So if you ever need to speak to anyone, you can give them a call and ask them any questions. It's great because any purchase you make with your receipt, you take a photo of it and it automatically gets uploaded onto the portal. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to worry about collecting lots of receipts. And then at the end of each month, they send you an invoice. They basically give you advice on essentially your bookkeeping. So what you should be the do's and the don'ts. And then at the end of the year, they help you do your self-assessment and tax returns. Okay, great. So it's not just bookkeeping, it's counting as well. So it's a combination of both. Yes, sorry. Yes, yeah, it's basically great. everything. Amazing. That's me and my experience, Frankie, but let's hear about yours. So um, I would love to know how you came to set up your business when you left your full-time job. Yeah, so there definitely are some similarities. So same as you, I was setting up a services-based company. So I was going to go into consulting. So similar, I guess, um, as an overarching theme. Mm -hmm. I registered a company name with Companies House about four or five months before I left my job. Really? Yeah, so wow. I, I think I mentioned in the last episode that I'd, I was kind of negotiating with my boss the fact that I kind of wanted to drop some, down some hours and kind of migrate into a consultancy 
or an agency kind of position. Yeah. I didn't really have a fixed idea of how that would work. I just knew that I wanted to work with my husband on our other business and I couldn't do both full time. Um, something had to give. So anyway, I was actually, this is going to sound terrible. I was in Paris doing some work for the company that I worked for. And one evening, um, I just sat down. I was like, right, I'm just going to register a company on company's house and just get this ball rolling because otherwise nothing's ever going to happen. So that's what I did. But because I I did it that way around, I called my company Let's Be Frank Limited, which, mm-hmm. I mean... I love it, by it's, the way. It's a bit I of a absolutely stupid love it. What, it's a play on words because that's your name as well, isn't it? I love yes. it. I mean, sometimes... It depends who I speak to. Some people love it and it's quite memorable. And other people... I just think no, just I think it's fantastic. <laughs> okay, Don't anyway, else says. that's what it's called. <laughs> Let's be frank. Limited is the name of my company, and um, and yeah, I set it up back in the back in the summer of twenty seventeen. But because I set it up on company's house and I didn't do any domain name checking, social media checking, or anything like that, when I then came to actually work on the business, I didn't have I hadn't done all of that searching, so that was mm. my kind of first mistake from brand perspective. Is I couldn't get the domain names and the social media names and things that I wanted. Right. Okay. Okay. So what? So how, so where did you go from there then? When you realised that the um, social media handles and the sort of website name wasn't available. Do you know what? It was frustrating because it meant that I couldn't have. Really, I could have let's be frank as a URL, but it would have to have like dashes in between the words, yeah. and so I had to use. Um, remember what I used oh LBF agency so that's the domain that I registered and I was LBF agency but then I kind of had all these sort of crises of self later on I was like am I an agency I don't want to build an agency (laughs) but anyway that's kind of another story um it's worth checking there's a great tool actually called name check which I'll put in the show notes Mm -hmm. um which is awesome and you can search any name and it will tell you in one search whether the domain names are available um, and whether the social media handles are available too. So it's perfect, okay, really good, brilliant. worth using. So what challenges did you face along the way and how did you overcome them? Well, similar to yourself, I think you have to... Whatever you think your time is worth, you mm. add... You times it by one and a half, or maybe even two. That's because there's <laughs> Yeah, there's so much stuff... There's all this extra stuff that happens and extra thinking and all of these things that you don't necessarily consider when you're putting together a proposal or putting to, or, or um, productizing a service. So yeah. always charge more because I think so many people undercharge and then you become resentful of your clients and kind yeah. of what it is that you're doing for them and you don't want to kind of get into that. Um, or if you do, you want to get out of that as quickly as you can. Um so first of all, yeah, charge at least one and a half times what you think it's worth. And then I would say add like a 20% buffer time to whatever your contractual obligations are for dealing with emails, phone calls, meetings, being reactive to questions, that kind of thing. Yeah. Again, it's a part that you sort of overlook as something that takes up time, but it does. Mm. And it's not things that you can schedule or plan for. Mm. You know, when your clients call you and they have questions about things, you know, you can't just say no I'm not dealing with that you know there's a fine line of kind of how you manage that client relationship that's a really tough one isn't it because when you're consulting and for example you're charging a day rate or you're charging per project with an amount of time that you're estimating it's going to take and then you don't realize that actually that client needs a lot more time than you first anticipated Mm -hmm. say they give you a call and they spend an hour on, on the phone 
yeah and it depends you know if you have a lot of I think if you have a a large enough pool of clients it sort of evens out I certainly found to around a 20% buffer time however if you only have one or two clients but one is a very extreme example because Mm. you've only got a small pool it doesn't even it out so you may have to think all right well maybe I need 30 or 40% buffer time with a particular kind of client yeah it's, it's just a way of kind of thinking about it, particularly when you're starting out, is just to add in that extra time. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip. Yeah, and also, I think, well, if you're starting out in a services business, you learn this pretty quickly, but really qualifying the customers that you're talking to around, do they have budget? Are they the decision maker? Um, what's going to happen with their business if you don't provide the service or somebody doesn't provide the service that they're looking for? you have to be become a salesperson. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when you run a business, there's no yeah. way of getting out of it. But you can sell in your own way. And I, and I think people's perception of what selling is or a salesperson is, you don't necessarily have to follow that model or, or do those things. But you have to be commercially savvy and you have to look at the basics, whatever happens. You're, are you talking to the right person? Does this person have any... Um, authority to sign a contract with you if mm-hmm. the answer is no you're talking to the wrong person you yeah. need to you need to find out who that person is otherwise you're just wasting your time and that's a really easy thing to do is to waste a lot of time going to meetings doing a lot of selling if you're not being savvy enough about who these people are and, and what they need and if they really need it and if they've got the money then you mm-hmm. just waste a whole load of your own time that then you're not earning because you're not actually providing the service or the yeah, product that's so true and I guess if you're when you're with the right person if you're not asking the right questions or you're not listening that's also a waste of time um I know that we've done a bit of work together and we you know a couple of meetings we've had I think that's something that you are amazing at oh thank you it's, it's not just the listening <laughs> part but it's, it's asking the right questions it's getting the client to really think about what it is they need and I think you know when coming back to sort of being commercially savvy and Everyone has a different way of selling, you know, your way specifically, which I found um, really inspiring is your way of selling is actually just to listen, to ask the right questions questions, and to get clients to actually come to the, their own kind of realisation of what it is they need. Because as soon as you know what they need, if you can provide that and if you can help them, a very quick conversation needs to be had at the end of that where you can say, okay, well, this is how we're going to do it and this is what we're going to do. And mm. I think I think that's an amazing um, skill to have. And I think not necessarily everyone has it, and perhaps you can if you nurture it in the right way, but that's one thing that I would definitely advise everyone to do based on, you know, I guess my experience and also my experience working with you and, and hearing how you, um, you know, work with people is to listen, is to ask questions, is to pause allow clients time to really think about what it is that they feel they need for their business Mm. so that you can put together a really well thought out strategy and plan based on what it is they need at the end of the day Mm. I think if you go into a a potential client meeting with too much of a fixed idea of how you want it to go or you want to kind of push your services on that person then the dynamic doesn't work very well because they immediately kind of can get quite defensive or Mm. it's, it does come back to what you said before. You need to ask the right questions and get them to answer and really think about what it is they need. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means that the conclusion that they take might be that they're not going to work with you. Yeah, or they might realise, fuck, I've got bigger problems or yeah. another problem or whatever. <laughs> or actually, I don't need somebody to help with my marketing. I actually need to focus on my sales team or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, 
But that's okay because then you've uncovered that really early on. Exactly. And you've not wasted anyone's exactly. time. And yeah. you've probably built a good rapport with that person and then maybe they'll tell somebody else about you um, and it will go from there. But exactly. if you're yeah, too sort of fixed think. on what you want to provide, um, then that can inhibit actually that relationship and it's not necessarily going to work. Yeah, I totally agree. So is there anything you do differently? Yeah, so one thing... The thing I did with my first consulting business is I built an entire website. I put a lot of pressure on myself to kind of get the branding right, get the website done. And whilst it's important, and I think the way that you did it was great, is that you focused on it, but you just did it within a week and got it out there. I think I really focused on it for a bit longer, I would say probably a month. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually, to be honest, my first clients were people I knew, people in my network, referrals, etc., and they didn't give a shit about my website, to be honest. Like, <laughs> so true, the fact it? that it was there, I had my contact details on and my name and that, that was fine. Yeah. I didn't need to do, you know, what I did, which was create probably about 20 pages of in-depth detail around every kind of service, around kind of what I saw the future of marketing looking like, you know, all of these things. And I really went OTT at that stage when actually... I could have just gone out, met some more people and got some, some business through the door a bit quicker. So I'd slowed myself down on that. And I, it wasn't necessary. I could have done that six months down the line. I didn't need to do it straight away. But I guess by doing that, did you not find that um, it was almost like a really useful exercise to kind of look at the types of services you wanted to offer? And it kind of you know, allowed you to evaluate how you wanted to do business and how you wanted to work within a marketing Kind of yeah, I guess, I guess to a certain degree it's useful from that point of view. But as we were discussing earlier, you know, those things change very quickly. Yeah. And you only really know what your value is or how you want to engage with people once you're doing it. Once you're engaging with people. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, it's a really valuable thing. But doing it before you're really engaging with clients is not a useful thing to do. You can just mm. have, have your website, your contact details, your brand name, whatever, and keep it quite basic and then after a couple of months, I could have then pulled something a bit more substantial together because what I actually found is that I needed to develop it and change it quite quickly. Yeah. So that's, that's what oh. I would have done differently. Okay, great. And in terms of tools, any tools that you'd recommend? Tools that I use. So I mentioned Namecheck earlier, which, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, like you, I used Squarespace to start with when I was first building websites, which is a great tool for beginners. But I actually found that I outgrew Squarespace quite quickly and I needed a bit more sort of complex capability that's, that Squarespace doesn't, exact, doesn't necessarily allow. So I then moved back into the WordPress domain, which I was kind of using before. So for me, it was WordPress as my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so for bookkeeping, I used Zero. But I actually found out afterwards that by banking with NatWest, which I do, um, I get access to Free Agent for free, which is another bookkeeping yeah, software, amazing. which is essentially the equivalent of Zero. So mm. I've been wasting £25 a month on Zero when I could have used Free Agent. Um, but anyway, by the by, bookkeeping is really important to stay on top of it because I don't bite you in the arse. Um, even though services, businesses are can be very lucrative, you still need to know what your cash flow looks like yeah, and, and what you're spending. Yeah, it's a good tip. Yeah, and then only the other only thing I'd mention is, you know, considering if you're going to register for VAT. So I registered for VAT straight away, um, even though it's only necessary once you're turning over eighty five thousand mm. pounds. 
but it's good for reclaiming fat if you have a lot of expenses and if you work in b2b services where adding fat is expected and it also gives a good impression of your business and you expect to kind of make that turnover quite quickly yeah it can make sense to do it i mean speak to your accountant or sort of financial advisor about it but i did it straight away nice it's not like it's not much extra work I was going to say, set yourself up as you mean to go on, I guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, big goals. You're going to hit that turnover in year one. Absolutely. You're only going to do it if you actually kind of... Yeah, I guess that's a manifestation, as you, yeah. you would say. Definitely. Awesome. Okay, cool. So, in terms of what we've been listening to and reading this week... Um, mm, yeah, I really want to hear what you've been reading. Or listening to. <laughs> I've revisited The Multi-Hyphen Method by Emma Gannon. So this book is amazing, whether you're starting out, whether you've been freelance or you've been side hustling for years, it's just a fantastic little book full of um, information. So I wanted to read a section from her chapter about it's time to be unapologetic. She says, we are all entrepreneurs now. The very meaning and idea of what an entrepreneur is has changed. It's not just people in Silicon Valley, it's you, it's me, it's anyone sat at their kitchen table with an idea. And playing the field has been levelled. In my head, the idea of an entrepreneur was always someone in a suit pitching in a board meeting. Rid yourself the idea of what an entrepreneur looks or sounds like. Get rid of the stereotypes that the media pedal in terms of what a successful business person looks like. Those old ideas are fading fast. If you have a smartphone or a laptop and an idea, you can be entrepreneurial. You can start an online marketplace, launch an Instagram page, sell tickets, make a podcast or grow an attractive online portfolio. As Mohammed Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner and microfinance pioneer pointed out, all human beings are entrepreneurs. When we were in the caves, we were all self-employed, finding our food, feeding ourselves. That's where human history began. As civilization came, we suppressed it. We became labor because they stamped us. You are labor. We forget that we were all entrepreneurs. Such a great piece. Essentially, anyone can be an entrepreneur. I think mm. if you have an idea, you have a kitchen table, or you have the tools at your disposal, then anyone can create a business and anyone can be um, an entrepreneur. And that's a message that I really, really loved from this book. Um, it's, it's a really empowering message, I think, especially for anyone who, you know, is sitting there thinking, oh, but I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that or I could mm. be an entrepreneur. And, and it's important also, I think, not to sort of glorify the term entrepreneur, um, but actually embrace the idea of, of trying something new, um, you know. I'm so with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I hate, I hate it when the term gets glorified and people become quite elitist about what an entrepreneur should be. And, you know, yeah, this idea of Silicon Valley startups, etc. And I just think it's rubbish. It all actually starts with a person or a couple of people with an idea. Exactly. Just, you know, it's like... Being in their garage, being in a spare room, sitting at a kitchen table, actually thinking, well, how can I turn this into something? Yeah. That's what an entrepreneur is. Mm. Startup, you know, that st- branded startup experience is actually not startup. That's like scale up. Yeah. <laughs> That's once you've got the investment, once people are on board, once you've got cash to spend on things like ping pong tables and fridges. But that is not the reality. And anyone can be that person yeah, who takes exactly. an idea and rather than just go, oh, that's a cool idea. And let it go they actually go no i'm gonna run with this yeah absolutely amazing anything else yeah. you've been reading um so i'm just going to touch on an episode with amy gannon and farah store the editor of the uk cosmopolitan she was talking about finding your dis- discomfort zone and i think that's 
a really important message because taking a risk and pushing yourself out of what feels safe is when you can truly do something wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's like a little message that I just wanted to kind of end on because I know we've discussed a lot about pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and doing something that, you know, we're fearful of and wondering if it's ever going to work out. But I guess it's in those moments of doing something out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself beyond your perceived capabilities, that's when something, you know, amazing can be created. Mm. So that's definitely an episode to listen out for. And I can't remember the number of it, but I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. That really reminds me of a podcast that I listened to this week. So Tony Robbins, I mean, he's amazing, but he also has this podcast and I was listening to an episode called Beat Work-Related Stress Forever. Okay, nice. And similar, you know, it's about the fact that we all have fears and your fears don't go away. The bigger your business gets or the more money you make, your problems actually just get bigger. (laughs) So true. But it's your thinking that's the problem. Mm. That's the problem. So many people, you know, talking specifically around startups and setting up a business... Many people fear taking on, you know, that first big contract or hiring their first employee for the fear that maybe their business won't perform or they'll hire the wrong person, um, maybe that the employees will be hassle. But if you don't break through that, you'll never scale and you'll, and you'll always spend your life as a business operator instead of a business owner and you'll always be stuck in that day-to-day and you'll never be able to sort of level out, grow it, scale it, you know, really think about the vision. So I think that's really important. That's so true, it's a really it? great it's a really great episode and I highly recommend that people listen to it also because you realize that your fears and the thoughts that you have are the same ones that everybody else has. So true. They're not unique to you. Not I unique absolutely to you. love that man Tony Robbins. Um, He's great, isn't he? He just cuts through the bullshit. He really does. Um, and yeah, really sort of challenges our way of thinking. Um amazing. And on that note actually, something that I wanted to mention earlier is when if you're starting a services based business get out there and network with other people in your industry who maybe you can outsource to so freelancers agencies anyone really because exactly you know what tony robbins is talking about when you start taking on bigger contracts you need to be able to outsource some of that work otherwise you're never going to be able to take on these large contracts yeah and that's a stepping stone between you know hiring your first employee is actually starting to outsource some of the work so definitely have a, a network really of people tip. who you know yeah. how much they cost what their skills are and people that you know you can trust definitely love that anything else and then finally i listened to a control delete podcast um with elizabeth gilbert and it's actually emma gannon's first control yeah, delete I saw podcast. That, number one <laughs> I yeah i think i've gone back that far yeah nice. well it came up on my feed as i like, recommended i don't know how or why but anyway i absolutely love liz gilbert she's the author of eat pray love um and big magic and she's just absolutely incredible i listen to anything that she's she talks on because she's great but this episode is called talking creativity and finding your voice and there's two main themes that I kind of wanted to bring out that she speaks about. One is talking about your ideas. Mm-hmm. So there's this TED talk by Derek Sivers, I think his name is, where he talks about um, don't tell people about your project because as human beings, we confuse talking about things with doing them. So, for example, if we have an idea for a business and we tell everybody that we have this business or um, we're starting this project... Because we're always talking about it, we never do it. Because our brains think, well, I'm talking about it, 
therefore Such an I'm doing concept. it, right? So he, so they were talking about this TED talk, and Liz said, "Well, actually, on the other hand, she loves to talk about her projects because there's an accountability element to it. Absolutely. So if I'm if I'm telling people that I'm going to work on, you know, she's a writer, so if I'm telling people I'm going to work on this novel, or this book." I have to do it because I will be accountable and I will not say something and not see it through. Yeah. So I guess it kind of depends really on the kind of person that you are yeah. and whether you like the accountability or whether you're somebody actually who, and I'm sure we all know them, there are people who do just talk the talk and never walk the walk. Mm. So I guess it's kind of swings around about spend on your personality yeah it's an interesting one because i remember reading someone i think it was i think it was richard branson that once said you know if you have an idea or you've got an idea for a startup or a business idea tell everyone because the more people you tell the more opportunities may arise where there could be an opportunity to collaborate or someone might be able to introduce you to someone or someone might know someone who wants to invest in a business idea like that and i think there is an element of you know putting it out there and kind of allowing the the seeds mm. to kind of grow and flourish. Mm. Um, so it's a really interesting one. I think it's really multi multi dimensional. I don't mm. think there's like one size fits all depending on who you are and what the idea is. Absolutely, yeah, I'm with you. Nice. I'm going to have to that, give that a listen. Yeah, and then just the other part of that episode, which I thought was worth bringing up, is Liz was talking about giving a speech to a huge audience, and I know like. <laughs> public speaking I think is like the biggest fear of humanity yeah the worst I'd agree with I that think, I, think <laughs> I don't know if it's been ranked a bigger fear than death but it's, anyway it's pretty much up there so many people are terrified about public speaking and Liz was talking about this experience she had where she was giving a speech to a huge audience and I think it was a mostly female audience I don't I don't know what the topic was but she said sometimes the greatest gift that you can give another woman is to let them see your vulnerability but actually, other times, the greatest gift you can give to another woman is to show them your dignity, your self-confidence, your self-assurance, and your courage. And don't let them see the frailty in humanity because they have enough of their own. Oh, and I just thought... so powerful, isn't it? Do you know what? That's a real moment where, where you make a decision and you might be terrified of public speaking, but actually it's bigger than you and your job is actually to just take whatever happens, even if you're nervous, even if you don't say anything interesting and you totally fuck up, <laughs> if you can stand there in dignity and be confident, that's all your audience needs. And I found that so powerful. That is so powerful and I absolutely love that message. Yeah. So some days you can talk about what mess you are, but, <laughs> but if you're giving a big speech, it's not the day. Love it. So yeah, anyone who maybe has a presentation or something coming up, give that a listen because I think it's really great. Well, I'm definitely adding that to the list. Thanks, Frankie. You're welcome. So that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of Bossing It. You can join in the conversation online by using the hashtag BossingItPod um, and tagging us at FoundFlourish. Um, please do rate and review us um, so we can hear what you think. And we hope to see you again next week. <laughs>